more. I've got like five here. Anybody need a bulletin? Raise your hand. This guy's coming after you. Back left corner's one, back right corner's one. He's going to get a workout. Good. And you have some too? All right. Dave's coming around. All right. If you are in second grade on down, we're going to dismiss you to junior church. Second grade on down, you are free. I got to try and count these critters as they go. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, if you are older than that and you're a visitor kid, you can go too. We're going to cut you some slack on Easter. Yeah, n- not a problem at all. Like, I feel your pain. Yeah, if you're, not, if you're not in here usually and you're not used to me, that's okay. Go be with somebody a little closer to your own age. <laughs> Got a good crew teaching today in there. The rest of you, open your Bibles to uh, Luke 23. There has been a, it's kind of a meme that's been going around on social media. I've seen it typed. I've seen pictures of it. I've seen, seen uh pictures of it with crosses in the background. I've seen it done with a picture of heaven. Uh, This last week, because it's Easter week, I've seen uh, two or three different, I don't even know if they're preachers, but people reading it out loud or doing a dramatic reading of this. I'm calling it a meme. I have, the first time I saw it, I felt like it was an attack. I was taking it personally, like, oh, how but the more I reflected on it, the more I thought about it, the, the better I felt about it. It actually has shaped the message this morning. So sometimes I've, I've got a version of it that's just typed out. When I first read it, I felt like it was a rebuke aimed at Christianity or aimed at organized religion, meant to insult denominational Christianity by pointing out something so obvious that they were right and we were wrong. Something that would challenge traditions. Um, Go to that next slide. I'm reading a slightly different version of it. That's kind of hard to read. Says this, how does the thief on the cross fit into your theology? No baptism, no communion, No confirmation, no speaking in tongues, no missions trips, no volunteering, no church clothes, no proper praying, no sinner's prayer. He is a condemned thief. Jesus did not take away his pain, heal his pain, or smite the scoffers. No theology or no theological spin, no shiny lights, no haze machines, no music, no altar call, no invitation. Just a naked man dying on a cross next to another naked man, unable to even fold his hands to pray. How does that thief fit into your theology? If you'll use the the bulletin, we've got some blanks in there. You can follow along. And I titled this message, The Simplicity of Salvation. But a good subtitle would be, how does the thief fit into your theology? So write that down in the first blank. How does the thief? Now there are two thieves. I'm talking about the second thief. We're going to read an account in a moment from Luke 23.
But at first take, can you, can, can you at least understand why the first time I read that I was kind of like uh, prickling, just like, you just want to put your gloves on and be like, let's, let's do this. I've chilled a little since then. I've read it a few more times. I've written a sermon on it. I'm ready. Let's do this. Happy Easter. Pow. No. Simple answer. How does the thief fit into my theology? My, my simple answer is perfectly. 100% right on target. I'm not alone in saying that. I do have a few things to say about that statement, but the thief on the cross, he fits. Because if he didn't, I wouldn't. If there was no room for him, there would be no room for me. Has he done more wrong than I have? Absolutely not. I've probably lived longer than he has. I am that thief. So it's really important that we get this straight. He represents all of us. And what better place for him to be than next to Jesus? You realize, right? All of Jesus' life, people were trying to get close to him. This guy doesn't seem like he was, but he ended up being exactly where God meant for him to be. God can use everything that's wrong in your life to get you exactly right where you need to be. Whether you did it to yourself or not, Jesus has this fantastic habit of being right there when you need him. So who is this guy? I'm turning to Luke 23 to read a short passage. Hope you'll follow along or just listen. From Luke 23, verses 39 to 43. <clears throat> it's a pretty familiar account. Just listen. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at Jesus saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other thief rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he turned to Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. How simple is salvation? As we look at this thief, as we read his words, how simple is it? Or maybe I should ask, how complicated have you made it? How complicated have I made it? Are we not guilty of adding many, many things to our faith? Do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. When in fact, at the very roots of our faith, it should be pretty simple. Well, if you live longer than a hot minute, 
and you don't die on a cross right after meeting Jesus, yeah, there are going to be a lot of things that the Bible, the Bible expects to be in your life. Got it. But are those things necessary to be born again? If you're familiar with the Bible, uh, the other parallel passages for this crucifixion account and what happens on the three crosses uh, are in Matthew 27 and Mark 15. Interesting thing in some of the other gospels, both of the thieves are rebuking Jesus. The interesting thing there is that in those other accounts, it's not entirely clear that Jesus had said anything yet. And the entire crucifixion happens over the span of probably about six hours. So there's plenty of time for both thieves to be railing against Jesus, for Jesus to start saying things like, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. For Jesus to quote Psalm 22. For Jesus to look at the Apostle John and say, this is your mother now, take care of my mom. To see Jesus go through what he's going through, there's plenty of time for one of those thieves to be like, he's the real deal. It's not a contradiction. It's just a different perspective. And each of the Gospels is trying to to show us who Jesus is from a different viewpoint. The other Gospels do a great job. Luke goes out of his way, however, to show us a last second deathbed conversion that really should simplify our theology of who Jesus is. And in his own poetic way, lift Jesus up even higher than he already is. He's lifted up naked on a cross, being humiliated and dying. And Luke finds a way to take even that moment and lift him up higher. Beautiful. So here we go. No baptism. No problem. No problem at all. We're Baptist church. We insist, believers, you should be baptized. But this thief, he isn't applying for church membership. He's not asking to be a deacon or an elder or a missionary. And he doesn't have the opportunity. That's okay. He needs salvation. We believe that. You need salvation first. And essentially, that's what comes first. That's the right order. Salvation is not dependent or tied to baptism, not in any way, shape, or form. We take the really clear teachings of Scripture that make salvation about Jesus and faith in Him, and there are some passages in Scripture. It seems like salvation and baptism are tied together, but we look at the majority of the text and we give a very fair explanation of how they're not. Now, back in that day, they were pretty important. If you were baptized as a Jewish person, you were baptized pretty soon after conversion because you had a, literally a new family now. Your old family would disown you, boot you. You were ostracized. They would even try to prevent you from getting into the temple anymore. They took it really seriously. Baptism has a lot of meaning. And, and don't forget this. Jesus commands his followers to be baptized. But Jesus never ties baptism 
to salvation. He didn't on the cross and he didn't for this thief. So baptism, no baptism, no problem. What about communion? He never took communion. Again, no problem. I would say non-essential. Back it up. There you go. He's excited. He is are you ready. He's back there. No communion. It's okay. It's non-essential, which means it's not tied directly to your salvation. Again, it is commanded by Jesus as often as you take this bread and take this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. It's really, really important, but it's not more important than faith in Jesus to be born again. You go to John chapter three, Jesus has this really deep talk with a Jewish theologian named Nicodemus. What must we do to be saved? Uh, You must be born again. He doesn't talk about communion. Why not? Because it's not tied directly to your salvation. It's a celebration of a church, a church family to remember what makes us different from the rest of the world. And it should bond us with one another as we recommit ourselves to Jesus. But it's not essential. Yeah, well, that thief on the cross, he never went through confirmation. So we just don't know. Confirmation is not commanded in the Bible. You can go to Matthew 28 and make a good case for it. Go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to observe all things that I command you. Jesus says that. He says, teach them. Okay, so confirmation is a really formalized way of, of teaching somebody, going through a catechism, asking questions, memorizing answers. That's good. That's helpful. But you can also recite all that stuff and not believe. Your parents can make you go through that and you never make it your own. Jesus never ties confirmation, baptism, or communion to our salvation or our relationship with him. Can it be used for good? Absolutely, but it's not commanded. Helpful? Yes, can be, but not necessary. Well, that thief on the cross, he never displayed that he was truly born again by speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues, never expected by the historic church. Historic Christianity has never held to speaking in tongues as a visible sign of salvation. Uh, We, as a church, are what we call cessationists. We think that gift, that gift and other gifts have ceased after the New Testament was completed. We have the Bible now. We have a full revelation of what God has told us. And that is not normative. Can God still do miraculous things? Absolutely. Does God still do miraculous things? Yes, he can, he does. Is that the norm? No. Should we all expect it? Never. Why? Because Jesus doesn't command us to. Paul, when he's writing to a, a church in Corinth full of spiritual gifts, he has to remind them, not everybody has every gift. And in fact, 1 Corinthians 13, here's what you really need to major on. Loving one another. 1 Corinthians 11, taking the Lord's Supper solemnly, properly. He, he, he goes away, Paul goes out of his way to dance around their fascination with spiritual gifts in order to bring the focus back onto the Spirit and onto Jesus. Is it a problem? 
No problem. Speaking in tongues never expected. And by the way, if any church or movement believes that speaking in tongues is essential or a common manifestation of your salvation, you need to also ask, what other really important things have they got wrong? Because they usually have several. Not the thief. Not on the cross. He wasn't worried about that. Jesus didn't make it about that. I love the simplicity of this thief on the cross. And then the next one, no missions trips, no volunteering, no church clothes. I'm just going to call that no good works. Is that a problem? Not really. The Bible teaches we're saved by grace through faith, not works. Works are helpful, but Ephesians chapter 2 says, by grace you have been saved. That means it's an act of God acting upon you. Have been saved. It's not you acting upon God. You don't save yourself. It's grace that saves you, but you do have a part to play. You have to exercise a level of faith that Jesus is who he says he is, that now Jesus is who the Bible says he is. Faith in something. God saves us. We agree. When I first got saved, I said, I found Jesus. Jesus wasn't lost, little Craig. Craig was lost. Jesus found him. Oh, and, and I'm not going to beat up some little kid, okay? <laughs> if they get that backwards, we celebrate that. Because from our perspective, that's what it looks like, right? I found God. I believed. I, I, I. The Bible flips that on us, though. It's God who finds us. It, saved by grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not a result of works, and no one can boast. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works. He's working really hard to be really clear in Ephesians chapter 2. For good works. Good works should flow out of your life after you have God in your life. You don't bring God into your life by your good works. Missions, trips, volunteering, how you dress, how you look. That, that doesn't mean you can't wear a tie more often, okay? You look pretty good today. Your Easter dress is very nice. I'm, but thank God we are not a church that says, it depends on how you look. No. Should you put a little effort into it? Yeah, maybe. But what if you can't? What if you worked up until 10.30 and you scrambled to get here? Your greasy boots, your oily shirt. Doesn't matter. Come. Or you're wearing your scrubs because you you got to clock in at 11.45. Come. It's not about that. Isn't that nice? Isn't that refreshing? We learn that from a naked man dying on a cross a terrible bloody death and we're learning we're still learning we're still learning by grace through faith not works no sinner's prayer well good because the Bible doesn't give us any formula guarantees I was visiting with the preacher from another church because his son wanted to go to church camp with us one year. 
and he said, where are you going to camp? I said, Falls Creek, that's where we, that's where we go now. And he just looks me dead in the eye. He said, we do not believe in sinner's prayer. I'd never heard that before, but you know, being a youth pastor, you have freedom to say things you don't usually have freedom to say when you're the pastor. Say, neither do we. Wait a minute. You guys, don't, don't you teach kids the sinner's prayer? It's like, yeah. Well, you don't believe in it? Like, what do you mean by believing it? Like, so he, you know, if you recite these words, you are born again. Oh, no, never. No, no, no. But if you believe these words, yes. We do not believe a prayer saves anyone, but down at the bottom, but God does save sinners who pray. It's not the exact words they say. Romans 10, 9, and 10. You have to confess Jesus as Lord. But what's the other part of that verse? You have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You have to believe he is who he says he is. So it's both. It, it's not just, oh, if I just confess it. Like, are you kidding me? So if I get a parrot and I teach a parrot to pray the Lord's Prayer, does that mean he is born again, saved, Christian, going to heaven? No, he's just reciting words and so can humans. It's not about just what you say. That's what I mean by the sinner's prayer, the formality or the guarantee. If I can get my kids to pray this, they're good. No. The thief on the cross shows us it's not about that. I don't know anybody else who's ever prayed this prayer and gotten that response from Jesus. We don't teach people. Well, it's in the Bible. Shouldn't we teach everything that's in the Bible? Not equally. There's a lot of bad stuff in the Bible, people doing bad things. We're not teaching people to do those things. You have to read with some context, some understanding. I'll tell you what this guy did do. The only thing he could. The only thing he could. And he did not get any healing. Are you kidding me, Jesus? You've healed all kinds of people. Why, are you, why is there no healing on this guy? Why don't his, why don't his like... Uh, stakes nails just go flying out of his hands flying out of his feet why doesn't he jump down yeah wouldn't that be a great testimony to the roman soldiers jesus is like yeah i can do that i'm here to die but i'm gonna save him like everybody would fall down and believe wouldn't they really jesus resurrected a dude named lazarus from the dead everybody knew he was dead lord he stinketh they rolled away the stone. He comes walking out in his grave clothes. They unwind his grave clothes. He eats, he drinks. He's still alive to this day. And people walked away wanting to kill Jesus. You really think if he heals this guy, they're going to fall down and call him Lord and Savior? <laughs> you haven't read the whole story. This is a heart issue not an eyeballs issue. This is a heart issue, not an understanding issue. This is a heart issue. I want to do what I want to do until I realize there is a God who intends good for me. And the gift He wants to give is not healing. You can pray for it, but don't throw a fit if you don't get it. He wants to give you eternal life. Let's trade off here. You want healing in this life, you want eternal life. Like, how, are those equal in your mind? I mean, you crazy. Well, if I just had everything good in this life, I just want to enjoy the best. 
then you don't understand what the gift of eternal life actually is. Seems like this thief did. John 16, in this world you will have healing, <laughs> peace, perfection. Come on. No, trouble. Thankfully though, Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome this world. Our faith is in someone else who has overcome, not in us having to overcome. You don't have to win. Parents, you don't have to win every argument. Teachers, you don't have to win every battle. Spouses, you better not try to win every battle. If you, even if you win, you lose. Dudes, just lose. Just lose right off the bat. You can get your way and feel like you won. You know you've lost. And if you don't know you've lost, she's finding out a way right now to make sure you know later that you lost. It's her way or the highway, guys. Just, just suck it up. No healing. Because prosperity is not really good news. Jesus is not offering us prosperity, healing, or physical relief in this life. Can he? Does he sometimes heal people? Absolutely. Is it normative? Not really. Why? I was talking with a dying man last week, and he said, when life thumps you the hardest, you learn the most. That's why. Why does God allow us to suffer and die? Because sometimes when life is thumping us nonstop and we can't get up and we are beaten down, it's then and only then that we look up for help. Why? Why? Why the suffering? Why the pain? Why are you letting this life thump, thump, thump me down? So maybe you'll take your eyes off yourself and look to Jesus for the first time in your life. And then, no theology. All right, you had me till that point. At this point, I have to say, time out. Stop. Wrong. Even in a couple of verses, with both of these thieves, there's a lot of theology. Are you not the Christ? Sounds like theology to me. He has a deep understanding of the Messiah. The Jewish understanding of God's promise coming in the form as a descendant of David who would deliver them from Rome and usher in the eternal kingdom promised to Abraham, Isaac, and all the descendants. That's deep theology. Save yourself. He understands the idea of salvation and us. But then the other thief rebuked him. Do you not fear God? Fear of God. That's all over the Old Testament. That, that is a deep theme in the Old Testament. I don't think he's just saying that. I think he's saying that with all the Jewish intention and understanding. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They are taught that. They know that. Why does that come out of his mouth? Because he has some theology. You and I are under the sentence of condemnation justly. He's confessing we're getting what we deserve. He has a deep theological understanding of right and wrong and consequences for being a murderous thief. That's theology. We are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. That is deep theology too. Obviously, 
obviously this guy's either listened to Jesus teach before or at least he's listening to the hum of everybody in the city that this man is claiming to be the Christ, the Messiah. He's forgiving sins. They cannot arrest him because they cannot find anything wrong to say about him. He knows, everybody knows the religious leaders hate Jesus. Everybody knows that they're trying to find a way. They're asking everybody, if you ever see anything wrong, this guy seems to be in on the buzz, the hum. He knows what's going on and he has the theology to say, this guy doesn't deserve this. That's deep theology. And then he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What kingdom? The theological kingdom of God at the full consummation of history. That is theology. This guy's spouting nothing but deep theology. Both thieves understand the God Christ description. Did you see that? Both thieves asked to be saved. Save us. Problem is, the first one, the first thief is desperate and demanding. Telling Jesus what to do, that doesn't ever go well. But the other thief is humble and broken. He acknowledges his own sin. And the real contrast I see is one of those thieves living in the here and now. Save me now. I will believe if you help me now. And the other one has a future mindset. He realizes he's dying. He accepts that. He's earned that. But then he abandons his soul to Jesus. Remember me in the next few minutes, hours. It's not going to be long. The sun is setting. They're not going to tolerate this for much longer. They know what crucifixion entails. He's about to suffocate. He's about to die. One thief has an eye toward eternity. Sounds like deep, deep theology to me. And then we get Jesus' seventh saying from the cross, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. All of us should want nothing more than to be where Jesus is. Where is he? He's resurrected. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's waiting for God to say, go. The next thing on the theological calendar for the coming again of Jesus Christ. That's where I want to be. Whether I live or whether I die. And please notice that in this story, Jesus is the hero. It's not the thief. If he could, he would have been baptized. If he could, he'd have broken bread with the apostles. If he could, he'd have bent his knee. If he could, he would have prayed a longer prayer. If he could, but he couldn't. And that's okay. What about you? We believe salvation is simple. And we have a phrase that we say pretty often around here. It's, write this down, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, 
And it's really a declaration or a confession that we see ourselves as broken and humiliated before God in our sin like that thief. We need God's grace. All we can do is have faith. And we're placing it in only Jesus, not ourselves. That is simple. Let me tell you why that's simple. You don't have a bunch of deities or gods that you have to please. You do not need to have a life full of thousands of good works to outweigh your bad works. Not necessary. Faith alone is our good work. So the simplicity is that we have one Lord, one Savior, one mediator, one resurrected King. We have one person we have to show allegiance to. That's the simplicity of Christianity. And if you live that, you accept that, you're going to learn in this next year how difficult that is. The simplicity is the singularity of Jesus. The difficulty is what Jesus asks for. The thief gave him all that he had and it wasn't much. All he had to offer was faith and that's a beautiful picture. You have more to offer. That's going to make it tricky because you have more to let go of. Your hands are not nailed wide open. You own stuff. You have responsibilities. You have commitments. You have family. In some ways, that thief on the cross has it easier than this guy. Because for me to lay down my life for Jesus Christ, I have a lot more to give up. And Jesus doesn't make that easy. He doesn't pull any punches. I'm to come to him. I'm to call him Lord and Savior, which means I can't sit on the throne and run my own life anymore. The difficulty in Christianity is abandoning yourself to Jesus. That's difficult because your heart loves itself, your heart loves others, your heart loves worldly things more than it loves Jesus. And therein lies the difficulty. Christianity is simple and difficult at the same time. Simple, Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Well, wait, wait, we'll back that up. Heart, soul, mind, and strength, like everything that's within me. What about this? What, can I just love him a little? <laughs> if he really is God, he deserves everything, not a little, not a part, and not a portion. Jesus answers only one kind of sinner. When I look at that thief, Jesus answers the desperate, the empty, the humble, and the word I like is abandoned. In some ways, he'd been abandoned by everyone else in the world. Nobody's speaking up in his defense. He's all alone on the cross. He has been left all alone on the cross. But in another twist of that word, he's also abandoning his life, letting go of everything else, and abandoning himself to Jesus. He has been abandoned, 
and yet he is abandoning all that he has left. I love that picture. That's a good description of the simplicity of salvation. You abandoning everything else so that you have room for Jesus Christ to flood your entire life. Don't come to Jesus demanding anything. Well, Jesus, I will give you my life if you'll save me from this circumstance. No negotiating. Jesus, I will surrender to you if... No, no secondary promises. This is not a negotiation. This is a redemption. He wants you with Him. Not working for Him, living with Him. And that's a really big distinction. Don't you dare stop at the shallow belief that there is a God. We can start there, but we don't stop there. I believe there's a God. Good. Tell me about Him. Well, He can't be known. I mean, you just can't really get... If He's God, you can't... God has spoken. God has revealed Himself to you. You don't have to work hard to find it out. He has done all the hard work to reveal Himself to you. And the hardest thing God ever did is crucify His only begotten Son in your place on a cross. God has done all the hard work. He's asking you, do you believe that? Do you believe me? Do you believe Him when He says He loves you? Do you believe Him when He says He cares about you? The question I'm ending on today is will you put your entire future into the hands of Jesus? The second thief on the cross did because he had nothing else to do, right? I don't think that made it any easier. I don't, I, I think materially, relationally, he had it easier than a lot of us because we have tangled up, mixed up, busy lives. But when it comes down to surrendering your heart, he did the exact thing you have to do. You are exactly in the same place he is this morning on Easter Sunday of the year 2023. You have a choice to make. Am I going to abandon myself, put my entire future into the hands of Jesus? Where am I going to go to school? What am I going to major in? What career am I going to have? Who am I going to live with? Am I going to be married? Am I going to live a life of singleness? Am I going to dedicate my career and my job to the Lord? Am I going to, am I going to commit to a church? Am I going to follow the Lord in baptism? Am I going to participate in communion? Am I going to serve other people as Christ has served me? Am I going to have a forgiving and generous heart and spirit? Am I going to be a person who has so much of Jesus coming out of my life that he's living again? That's what he wants. Your entire life, from the outside looking in, your life may not change. You may keep wearing the same clothes, going to the same school, going to the same job. But on the inside, when you give this part of you to Jesus Christ, He begins to change everything. He begins to change you and not your circumstances. He wants to change you. Will you put it all in His hands?
Stand with me. Let's pray together. Step number one this morning with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Just a, a moment. Just give us a moment of quietness and stillness. When was the last time you admitted to God that you need him? When was the last time you admitted your sinfulness? Have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever stolen? You're guilty. You're not just guilty of breaking one or two of the laws. You and I both, in one way, shape, or form, we have broken every command God has told us that is for our good. When was the last time you confessed your sins to Jesus? Do it this morning. Confess that He is right and you are not. Recommit your soul to the true King of Kings. If He can overcome the power of death and rise from the grave, He can do it for you too. He can resurrect you. He can bring you into eternal life at the right hand of the Father. Confess that Jesus is Lord today. Believe that God has raised Him from the dead. If you need anyone to pray with you, we would love to pull you aside today and pray. In a moment, we're going to play and sing one final song. And the altar is open. You can come and confess. For some of you, it may have been a while. If God has brought to your heart and your mind something you know you need to do and make right, take care of that today. Easter is about a second chance. When you think all hope is lost, He is near you. Recommit today. Jesus died so you could live. Not live however you want, but live how He wants. So make sure you get right with the Lord today. If you need someone to pray with you, we will pray with you. If you need to talk about uh, church membership or baptism, follow up, come after us after the service and throughout this week or email us, Facebook messenger us, call me, text me. We want to have those conversations, but we also know it takes longer than one song to take care of serious business. Let us know how we can pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we say thank you for Easter and thank you for Jesus. Because he lives, we can face today and tomorrow and forever. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. How I long to breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets To look upon the one who bled to save me And walk with him through all eternity There will be a day when all will bow before Him. There will be a day when death will be no more. 
standing face to face with him who died and rose again. Holy, holy is the that it was worthy when he returns to wipe away our tears there will be a day when all will bow before him there will be a day when death will be of the faith with one voice a thousand generations sing worthy is the Lamb who was slain and on that day we join the resurrection and stand beside Heroes of the faith, with one voice, thousand generations, sing worthy is the Lamb who was slain. For
Before the benediction, uh, feel free to pick up your little kids. If you leave them, we will feed them lots of sugar and find a way to get them to your own house later. Uh, for the smaller kids, like three years and under, if you take them all the way down the hallway, you'll see a sign that lead them onto the playground. We're going to do a little Easter egg hunt for them. We just got some uh, mini M&Ms inside of their eggs, so it won't be an overdose. For the bigger kids, we're going to meet on the church lawn in front of the black fence and we'll spread the eggs out. I have bags if you don't have them. So at the end of the benediction, go grab your kiddos and meet us out on the playground and we'll have a little fun before we go. Happy Easter to you. Thank you for coming. Visitors, feel free to pick up one of those books on your way out. Thank you for coming. From Revelation chapter five, verses 11 through 13. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>